listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. All right, welcome to a new episode. Recording this on a Sunday evening after the Lakers. Let's be honest, a very impressive performance. A, beating the Mavericks on Friday without Anthony Davis in the lineup. He's still dealing with that contusion. And then beating Oklahoma City without a sick LeBron. He wasn't in the lineup. Kyle Kuzma came alive. We're going to jump into all this stuff. Of course, don't forget, subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. You can catch us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. We are there. And of course, check out silverscreenandroll.com for all your Lakers needs. we got you covered with stats, opinions, analysis, and more. Joining me today, he's a friend of the podcast, been on a few times, and of course, always nice to talk with a fellow Canadian, uh, Doug Eberhardt. Doug's worked with uh, assistant uh, as an assistant coach in the NBA, also helps with some skill development and done a whole ton of other stuff. Uh, always great having you on. How you doing, Doug? I'm well, Josh. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on. Oh, it's, always, it's always good to uh, talk hoops with you. So I want to jump into this first, because this was a huge topic in Lakerland, uh, especially over the last couple of weeks with, with Kyle Kuzma. He, he had been struggling. Uh, didn't have a lot of good games, and and you know what? I mean, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He missed the the summertime with uh, with the injuries that he was dealing with, with the ankle with Team USA, and then coming back to uh, coming back into the lineup, he had some up and downs. I talked about this going into the weekend. Uh, you know, this is of course last week, but talking about the fact that if you're dealing with an injury to AD and you're dealing, I mean, Le- LeBron thing was a total surprise on Saturday, but I said Kuzma's got to step up because we've seen the the rumors with Rob Polenka that he's been offered and and he's been rumored to be available by trade. Came out 26 points against the Mavs, played, led the team, dominated against. 36 points uh, in that game, a 125-110 win over the Thunder, seven rebounds. Uh, Rajon Rondo, also a good game. We'll jump into that too. But, uh, Doug, I want to jump into this with you right now. What the hell did Kyle Kuzma do right that all of a sudden he kind of snapped out of it and, and played those those two good games over the weekend? Well, it's, it's interesting kind of how you frame that, Jazz, because, uh, yes, the injury with USA Basketball and coming back from an injury always difficult, et cetera, but – to me, uh, the bigger problem for Kyle Kuzma was with the addition of Anthony Davis and uh, Los Angeles playing quite often, or most often, two big type lineups, was more Kyle Kuzma finding a comfortable fit into the lineup in terms of where his shots were going to come from, how aggressive he should be, um, that type of thing. And with uh, Anthony Davis injured and then LeBron out against Oklahoma City, who Oklahoma City uh, is a very good team. And uh, in this case, they they didn't play great against the Lakers, but they're a much better team, I think, than people originally predicted. With uh, Kyle Kuzma, his ability to uh, get more playing time and fit more into the lineup with the, with the injuries, et cetera, has been more important to me than the injury. He's, he's found uh, where his shots are going to come from and that he doesn't have to force shots as part of the second unit with LeBron out of the lineup. Normally that spells disaster for the Lakers. And I'm talking within a game. Uh, They just cannot generate offense normally with either Rajon Rondo or Alex Caruso having to run pick and roll offense. And in this case against Oklahoma, Kuzma found a comfortable groove. He's been cutting a little bit more or at least recognizing when he should cut, especially with LeBron. And more importantly is he's been finding the soft spots 
down in the corner and on the wing on the weak side when LeBron or LeBron and Anthony Davis uh, run, pick, and roll. Kuzma's properly situated now in terms of where he knows his shots are going to come from. Yeah, and I found that with him too, Doug. Like during the season, it's been a clunky fit in terms of offensively, especially when when AD and LeBron are on the floor with with Kyle Kuzma. Uh, you know, Kuz's game is more or set on slashing, and he needs the ball in his hands. I mean, I don't think he's a great creator for for other guys on the team, but in terms of he wants to have the ball in his hand so he can slash to the hoop and and try and get to uh, try and get an easy layup or, or get to the foul line, and then you know, the confidence he was playing with in that, in that OKC game, it was almost like, dude, I know Frank Vogel doesn't have any other options. So I'm going to get to shoot 24 shots. He shot 15 at 24, which is, which is obviously great. But I, I you know, just his confidence. It, is that something more that um, because he had the opportunity these last two games and he was kind of a, a focal point of the offense that you, you feel that he had more confidence going, or was it that he, he like I said, like he, he didn't have anybody playing in, being able to be kind of take his spot like do you think that helps a player in the NBA knowing that hey I kind of almost I don't want to say a total green light but have a green light in the sense that I know that I can take as many shots as I want and my coach ain't going to pull me up that is always helpful trust me that uh knowing knowing that you have the ability and that uh, you're not going to be sitting down immediately regardless is a great booster for any player and uh, with Kuzma uh and Rondo as well in that game, they recognize that without LeBron, without AD, there's basically 50 shots that someone else needs to take. Now, obviously, Kuzma has never lacked for confidence in terms of scoring and shooting the ball, whether he's playing well or playing poorly. So out of those shots, the majority were going to get jacked up by Kyle Kuzma. And knowing, knowing that uh, the team, both the team is counting on him because they don't have any other options, and his confidence level was higher uh, after the Dallas game as well, both of those, I think, combined for any player to uh, get you going and not have to worry about situational mistakes and the possibility that the, the coach is going to be yanking you out or jerking with your minutes or changing, changing where you come in and out in the rotation with Kyle Kuzma, knowing all that, plus his kind of uh, his, his overall confidence, even when he's going poorly, I, I think that both those combine to help his game. When you, when you look at, um, his fit going forward, right? And I'm looking at this now. I'm not going to, I think that he helps the team immensely and a ton on the podcast that he went down on the Lakers in terms of. Games in the regular season. But I'm not going to sit here and say that confidently. I think the Clippers have a ton more uh, depth in terms of offensively where you can have Jamichael Green, uh, obviously Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell coming off the bench. And these guys are able to, to deliver consistently offensively. One of those three guys is going to be able to fill it up. When, when you look at Kuz's fit with the Lakers going forward, if, if they had that opportunity, let's go back to this, that if they had the opportunity and your, your opinion as, as working as a coach and, and knowing the NBA, knowing the game kind of as well as you do, is do you think that Bogdanovich, uh, Bojan Bogdanovich from uh, Sacramento, or pardon me, Bogdan Bogdanovich, 
become a fit for this team going forward? And and if so, um, do you look at Kuz as being a long-term answer as being the third guy on the team? To me, no, he's not the long-term answer uh, as, as a third option. And it's unfortunate because Kyle Kuzma, I think, is, is a very good player. And going forward, he has a great deal of potential. Um, you know, again, fit being the most important thing. But uh, Kuzma, I I think that people's expectations of him, especially Lakers fans, have built up, uh, to me, not realistic expectations of his game. And uh, and add in that he, he's basically become kind of a uh, social media Instagram star more <laughs> yeah. than he has he's a basketball that. star. <laughs> and and that but that that's part of I think making for unrealistic expectations of him in terms of perhaps his contribution and how he fits. Now if he can simplify his game when both LeBron and A D are back and he's included in the lineup that see but that again depends because Frank Vogel likes to pay play two bigs uh or he has so far this year, um, for the majority of time, that cuts into Kyle Kuzma's minutes. So that cuts into, I think, both his rhythm and how eager he is when he does catch the ball to let fire because his minutes aren't going to be as large. Now, getting to the kind of end of your uh, your analysis and your question, would a guy like Bogdanovich fit? Uh, you know, I, I don't know whether he would be a better fit than Kuzma already is. He's a, a type of player that you can sit on the weak side into a catch and shoot situation, and uh, he's going to be just fine. Um, I don't think he gives the Lakers or potentially gives the Lakers Kuzma's uh, ability to slash and uh, and get to the rim, but they may not need that if they can find another second playmaker other than LeBron, whether it's uh, someone has a miraculous mid-season improvement, which I am very doubtful of, or more likely that Rob Palinka finds some way to uh, pull a deal where they bring in uh, someone who can be a second playmaker after LeBron. Uh, to me, Anthony Davis, for all his skill and ability and uh, amazing season so far, especially defensively, he, you can't run the offense uh, with the personnel that the Lakers have through Anthony Davis for long periods of time. And that's why when you look at the on-off numbers with LeBron, it's a stark reminder that uh, the Lakers will go as LeBron goes, especially come playoff time. So I don't know whether Bogdanovich would uh, be any better plug-and-play than Kyle Kuzma already is. Um, but Kuzma appears to be much more comfortable now and has figured out, even though uh, he had his big game, obviously, with those two guys out of the lineup, with them in the lineup, he seems to be getting more comfortable in terms of knowing where his shots are going to come from and what his role will be. You, you mentioned the, the lack of, of creator behind, behind LeBron, and that, that's been a big, I, I think to me, uh, something that's very noticeable throughout, throughout the season that you know this team is so much better when LeBron is on and the depth on the bench has, has been an issue. And, and with, with Kuz's inconsistencies, it, it's kind of come to the forefront at, at certain points. But again, I mean, we're, we're kind of spilled milk here because let's, let's get back to the point that the Lakers are 32-7. and seven. They're still you know, leading the Western Conference uh, by, a, by a pretty 
good margin so far. They're up five games on the on the Jazz and Clippers, who are uh, tied for second. But uh, when you when you look at 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 options that might be, and again, we got to take into consideration that the Lakers really don't have a first round pick they can give up. Um, that's something that they're not going to be able to look at. They don't have the cap space, and and the guys on their team, you know, for let's be real, aren't very appealing to to other teams. I mean, nobody's going to go out of the way to trade for a Quinn Cook, Quinn Cook, or Troy Daniels. Uh, again, they might trade for him, but they're not giving up anything of significance at that point. When you look at some of the options that might be out there in the NBA, who is somebody that you think would be the ideal fit uh, on the Lakers' second unit, kind of as a creator and and, and a playmaker for for the offense? Well, they they may walk out and get someone that they don't have to use any quote unquote assets for. If for the uh, bio market, if Col- no, if Collison, if Collison, yeah, okay, uh, chooses chooses to uh, get paid a nice high prorated amount that he can then donate to the church. So we'll uh, we'll see if if they can secure him, and uh, he would provide off the bench. I think a little bit more playmaking in terms of playmaking that's useful. And I, I know Rondo had a big game and played very well, but uh, I, it still pains me to watch the Lakers play and Rondo exhaust the shot clock, hunting hunting for assists, and then giving someone a hand grenade to have to shoot in the last <laughs> five seconds of the shot clock. And uh, since he doesn't bring it defensively, like he did in his first few years in in Boston either you know to me uh, the players all seem to really like him his locker room presence is obviously important uh players still look up to him but watching the actual film tape video whatever you want to call it, uh, it it's a negative situation when he has to be counted on for the Lakers on uh, on that bench unit so uh, i i think Collison would definitely be a step up and uh, now, as far as buyouts, I, I don't see any creators of, uh, you know, smaller or, you know, guard or wing player type buyout candidates that would fit uh, with the way the Lakers roster has been constructed right now. It's none apparently jump out to me off the top of my head. I, I think some of the buyout guys will be stretch four type players. Um, and you know, goodness, the, the Lakers don't need that type of player uh, to to come in and and have to carve up minutes away from Davis, away from Kuzma, or if Frank Vogel continues to uh, to like playing the two bigs again, that's time away from what he's decided is more important as having rim protectors out there than uh, than guys that uh, can cover on the perimeter and or create on offense. When, when, you're, when you're referring to Rondo, I mean, I think a lot of people in, in, in Lakers in, in general are with you. Like, I think we've seen enough to know that he might have a game like he did against OKC uh, in that win on Saturday, you know, once every 10 games, but you can't rely on this guy, on this guy doing it consistently. And and you mentioned some of the lineup choices that, uh, that, Frank Vogel has went with, and I want to jump into that. Let, let's do that after this uh, after this short break. All right, and we are back uh, with uh, Coach Doug Eberhardt, a part-time NBA assistant coach. There's a whole plethora of other things. Media member, one of the best in the business. He's on with me right now. We're breaking down uh, where the Lakers are standing right now at 32-7. and seven. Uh, Doug, we're, we're talking about Rondo before the break there, and 
when you look at when you look at some of the choices that that uh, Frank Vogel had made, and then let, let's say that you were the head coach of the Lakers, when you look at today's NBA, and this is this is the way I think a lot of people are doing it. It's a joke, but it's 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 kind of the truth that you're looking at Javale and and Dwight Howard um, at the big man spot, kind of as one player. You know what I mean? And they, they've consistently delivered double doubles combined in a game. Not, not you know they're not consistently averaging that, but they've done a good job of, of giving the Lakers. Uh, a lot of a lot of rim protection, a lot of shot altering ability in 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 front of the rim, and 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 obviously blocking shots. They've been great at that. And you mentioned the 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 lineup with Anthony Davis and and having one of those guys out there and going big. Is that something that is is hard to match up for with with other NBA teams, or like how do you look at that in terms of if Frank, if you were in Frank Vogel's shoes, is that something you would have thought of as well? Like say, hey, you know what, we're going to go with AD at the four and go with one of the big men at the five like that. Uh, to to me, well, just my whole offensive philosophy uh, goes more towards smaller lineups. So it's probably probably not fair in terms of me making decisions with that lineup. But uh, it, it worked out much better uh, for the Lakers than I anticipated. Uh, their their defense having either Javale or Dwight on the floor with AD has proven defensively to be excellent in the. The rim protection has been great. Um, offensively, it, uh, it's been better than I expected just because uh, I, I'm sure they talked to JaVale about, you know, you're, you're going to play 18 to 22 minutes. And when you're out there for those 18 to 22 minutes, you need to go hard the whole time, which in the past JaVale hasn't done uh, because he's played more minutes. And uh, for those that don't know, he has – exercise-induced asthma. And you'll, you'll often see him even tug on an inhaler on the bench. So, but with his minutes limited to that, and then Dwight coming in, and, and I think Dwight has surpassed even the wildest expectations of how effective he's been. Uh, but to me, the, the problem comes uh, defensively, yes, they're excellent at rim protection, but when you play those big lineups and especially down towards the end of games and when the playoffs match up, it's just going to be an endless hunt for matchups, sticking those two into pick and roll and uh, taking one of them away from the rim. And then you're relying on uh, if Anthony Davis is spaced out, him having to come from the weak side. So as you get down towards playoff time, I think it makes it more difficult to play the, the two big lineup uh, for the majority of the game, which the Lakers have in fact done. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not really answering the question, but uh, those are those are some of the things that would pop into my mind as a coach. Playing the two big guys together would be, uh, yes, uh, we've sold our defensive principles on rim protection and giving up certain uh, three-point shots. And now come playoff time, I don't know, how steady of a diet you can uh, you can go with that with now having said that that's pretty much exactly what milwaukee is doing as well and them and the lakers are the top ranked defensive teams in terms of uh selling selling out on total rim protection and key and maybe giving up more frequency of three pointers than you you would like but uh it's been very successful for both teams with that philosophy well, how, how different is how different is that is the the beast in terms of playing in the playoffs versus playing in the regular season? Because 
you know, we look at it usually in the NBA, and this is just the way it's been, you know, more so over the last maybe four or five years, six years with when the Warriors were, were going on their run there, that eh, there's probably about three or four teams, maybe five that you knew in the NBA had a chance to win a championship. I think there's a little bit more this season just with, with the Warriors kind of um, being, I don't want to say dismantled, but dealing with all the injury stuff that they've went through and Durant obviously leaving. But when you look at, when you look at the Lakers now, and like you mentioned, you know, going with that two, two big man lineup and, and, saying, hey, you know what, you guys can might be able to beat us from the three-point line because we've seen them susceptible to that when they've lost. And they haven't lost very often. Again, it's seven out of 39 games. But when they have, I mean, especially against the Mavs, the couple times that they did, it was, or, or the one time that they didn't, and then they went to overtime, the Mavs were just trees and, and they were killing them on those. When you look at a team like the, the Clippers or, or the Rockets or, or the Mavs themselves or Utah, how would, you attack, how would you attack this lineup in terms of defensively and try and take advantage of the fact that um, they might have that opening and, and, and exploiting the fact that they have two big men on the floor. To me, if you have the two big men on the floor, um, in terms of the matchups, you're trying to put Anthony Davis in the strong side corner. So whoever, let's say they're playing Houston, as just an example, and Anthony Davis is covering uh, P.J. Tucker in a lineup. You're putting uh, JaVale or Dwight into a pick and roll with Clint Capella uh, and Harden. And you're putting whoever Anthony Davis is covering into the, the strong side. So the same side as the ball where the action begins. And then obviously you have shooters on the other side. And that, that's where the problem comes. So you run pick and roll, Clint Capella uh, or Rudy Gobert or whoever, uh, diving to the rim off that initial screen. And now off of the strong side, most teams don't want guys coming off the strong side corner. So that's Anthony Davis. You're, you're looking for the weak side guy to rotate over. But Anthony Davis is your rim protection if JaVale or Dwight are out getting isolated or get, getting placed into pick and roll. Now, you can choose defensively to go into what's called a drop coverage or zone up where the big man basically stays back uh, on the pick and roll and uh, picks up above the charge line extended. So you're, you're then still protecting the rim and forcing guys downhill. But you then have Luka Doncic, you then have James Harden, you then have Mitchell or Connolly coming off that high screen and roll free to shoot a wide open three or get into the paint and draw that big up from the drop coverage and the corners don't come all the way in, but the corners are going to naturally sag towards the, the key as well. And you're going to engage uh, the big man, either bringing him up and then kicking or getting all the way to the rim and then trying to get into his body and finish. So it, it prevents it, it prevents it. It makes it very difficult for Anthony Davis to be part of the action. So that's one very simple way of if a, if a team, or in this case the Lakers, are, are running a double big lineup. Uh, you can also be like the Dallas Mavericks in terms of you have a, can play a huge lineup, bigger, a bigger lineup, in fact, than the Lakers in terms of height, uh, not necessarily size, but height. But you have guys like Porzingis or you have guys like Kleber who, in coming off that pick, are going to pop. Now, if your big guy is staying in drop coverage, you're giving up a, a wide open pop opportunity to two very, very effective stretch four slash fives. And uh, so, you know, the other teams could go with big lineups and 
also try and exploit the way the Lakers always keep one of their big men uh, at the rim or in drop or zone up coverage and then find a way to place Anthony Davis in an area where he can't be the help man coming from the weak side. So, so those are a couple of very simple, straightforward ways, I think, that, that most fans would be able to watch the game and understand what teams are trying to do to the Lakers. Which team in the West, like you, you talk about the Rock, Rockets specifically there in terms of personnel, but is there any other teams or are there any teams, pardon me, that, that you look at in the Western Conference and say they're going to be a matchup problem for the Lakers? Like right now, if you had to pick one other team, um, maybe including, you know, because we talked, uh, you talked about Houston pretty in depth there of how you would attack it, but out of, out of the rest of the teams that, that, in the West. That's mainly because I, I know their know you know roster well, well yeah. just from having worked with them a little bit. Okay, well, I'll, 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 I'll give you this. And two teams in the West that you look at and say, you know what, the Lakers are going to have a hard time stopping them defensively. Well, I, I think if, if that was, if it was two teams, I, I would say uh, the Denver Nuggets in terms of uh, just because of the way they use Jokic as basically the, the fulcrum of their, uh, of their machine and the way they don't post him up low except on obviously mismatches onto uh, switches, etc. He'll operate out of the high post, out of the top of the key, out to the three-point line, which again forces the Lakers' big men in a two-big lineup to uh, make a decision as to what they're going to do. So, uh, And the rest of the perimeter-oriented players on Denver can really make you pay, whether it's Murray, whether it's Harris, uh, even Porter now, et cetera, getting more minutes. And then you add in that Denver also could uh, throw Plumlee at you in terms of uh, a guy diving to the hoop. And uh, it, uh, it's, I, I don't think, a great matchup in a playoff series. And then the, the other team that I think could uh, really make them pay is the Clippers. And uh, it's hard to judge the Clippers right now. They're, they're playing very well, but between um, the rest that uh, Kawhi is getting and, uh, you know, they, they, haven't, they haven't shown a consistency, not of effort, but a consistency of play, I, I think, that, you know, they're aiming for the playoffs. It's, it's pretty obvious they'll, they'll remain close enough to uh, hopefully get home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs, but their, their eyes are on May and June. So, uh, but the Clippers, when they go with their small lineup, they, Zubat is nice, but against the Lakers, they're going to ride Montrez Harrell uh, and spread that floor out and run pick and roll over and over and over against the Lakers and, uh, and space with shooters. And I, I think that that's going to be difficult for the Lakers to continually have to deal with that, which is what they would have to do in a playoff series. Um, when you're looking at it, when you're putting and you're looking at the Lakers offensively, and, and we talked about this, uh, you know, a little bit before about, you know, LeBron and uh, how important he is how, to make kind of the machine go. And, and uh, looking back to that win against the, the Knicks last week, and again, uh, you know, I'm not going to pump the Knicks tires. The Knicks stink. They're not a, not a very good basketball team. I think they were just too lackadaisical, but they were going under every screen and, and hoping LeBron, are daring LeBron to shoot threes. He ended up finishing six to twelve that game. When you look at in terms of it of a coach a coaching perspective, de- defensively, how would you attack the Lakers to slow them down on the offensive end? 
Well, just mentioning what I would call the San Antonio technique that they uh, they used, obviously, when LeBron was a member of the Miami Heat on the way to a championship. Uh, I, I still think that's probably the most effective way to control LeBron is to, to make him the primary scorer. And even though he's become a, a very effective outside shooter and three-point shooter, it would still be preferable even at his uh, elderly age and uh, hundreds of thousands of kilometers on his odometer. Um, that that's, right. you, that's, 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 that's Canadian for you all who are listening. That's right, Doug. Yeah, we go with kilometers. The metric system is always better. Right? a little metric <laughs> yes. system for our American friends. But with, with the, uh, the, the number of clicks on the odometer and uh, the damage that LeBron can inflict as a passer and still getting downhill, going to the rim, uh, I think it's always preferable uh, to start with him going under on screens and uh, make him make him the primary scorer. Uh, take away his ability to get the role players involved from three on the weak side. Take away his ability to throw lobs on drives to the rim. Make him make him the primary focus, and then you know, adjust from there. If he's, uh, if he's rolling, you obviously change your pick and roll coverage with him. That's, that's one way. Um, the other way, and uh, I think the way they get Anthony Davis involved in, in so much of this now is uh, by starting and running, they'll, they'll start with action up at the top with LeBron eventually getting, uh, getting the ball and someone setting a pin down screen uh, so just down screen down towards the corner for Anthony Davis, for him then curling off into a post up or uh, coming up with LeBron into a pick and roll. And so if, if you can defend that, if you have a, a switchable lineup where Anthony Davis isn't going to totally torture whoever you throw on him if he, if he spins down into the post, uh, that's another way, I think, of slowing the Lakers offense down and more importantly digging deeper into the shot clock and regardless of how effective the the Lakers have been offensively as you get deeper into the shot clock both the uh, potential rate of return on your shots is going to go down and uh, and the difficulty is going to go up so if you can jostle Anthony Davis not I'm not saying be dirty or anything like that, but if you can delay his post up, if you can delay his coming off that pin down screen, just a, a one second, two seconds, you're, you're going to get the Lakers later into the shot clock where uh, Davis might have to give up the ball. And then you're scrambling because uh, unless you get it back to LeBron, again, the, the lack of creators, especially off the dribble for the Lakers amongst their rotation players, makes it very, very difficult in, in late shot clock opportunities for them. Mm -hmm. So th those are just a couple of things I would do. And then if they're, if they're playing with a too big lineup, you know, be in a situation where you're able to come off of Dwight or come off of JaVale, uh, tag Anthony Davis on the pick and roll, and then in Draymond Green fashion, be able to back up into those guys who are going to be in the short corner or what they call the dunker spot now and try and both faint towards the, uh, the pick and roll cutter or diver and get back onto the lob. 
those are three minor things you can do that disrupt the Lakers offense. All right, Doug, this has been super informative. I always love having you on. The, the way you break it down and, and the way you explain it makes me feel like, damn, I don't know anything about, about basketball. So <laughs> the, just the, uh, the, the, sharp, the sharp way you look at it, it's, it's always great having you on. Thank you again so much for taking the time out to do this. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Jack. All right, that is Doug Eberhardt. You can catch him on Twitter at ebhoops. That's E B E hoops. Uh, NBA assistant coach also works a lot with players in the off season in terms of developing their skills and and, and a media member as well. Uh, so give him a follow. He always does a good job of, of breaking things down. Uh, and again, don't forget subscribe to our podcast network. We're bringing out new podcasts every day of the week. You can subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. We are on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. You can catch us there. And don't forget, of course, to check out SilverScreenAndRoll.com. We always got you covered for all your Lakers needs. That does it for this episode. I appreciate you all joining me. We'll talk to you all next time.